0: My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to Repeating History, 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 his, his, history, history, History. Have you guys ever done any online dating? and you match with someone, and you have to start a conversation out of nowhere, and it always feels weird and contrived and just, like, unnatural. Well, that's kind of like starting a podcast episode. I never really know exactly where to start. And history is, like, you know, just one long, linear thing, so it's like, how far back do you go into history to tell the story? And it just turns into a whole thing, but... I guess technically this episode has started now, so... Fuck it. Let's party! Do you guys remember that awful television show called Wife Swap? It's not a very clever title because, spoiler alert, all they do is swap wives. Pretty weird concept for modern-day television, but who am I to judge, right? Anyway... Today's story kind of starts with a historical version of Wife Swap. Let me introduce some of the key players. The place is Sparta. The time is 550 BCE, roughly. One of the Spartan kings is a dude named Ariston. Now I say one of the Spartan kings because Sparta, unlike most of the other Greek city-states, has two kings at all times. Ariston, one of the two kings, has two wives and zero kids. You didn't know that you'd be doing some math today, too, did you? Our old boy Ariston wanted to do just a little bit of simple mathematics. He wanted to subtract one of his wives, maybe add another wife, and hopefully add a child. Ariston has a best friend named... Agidas. Agidas happens to be married to, like, the babeliest of babes in all of Sparta. But apparently, she wasn't always the babeliest of babes. This is also a little story of the ugly duckling, but in a really severe way. Herodotus never gives us her name, so I'm just going to refer to her as Babezilla from now on. Okay? Apparently, when Babezilla was born, she was anything but. Imagine being someone who's just so ugly that they write about you and it gets passed down through history about how ugly you are. That's not a very good reputation. Anyway, when she was young, she had a nanny because her parents were kind of well-to-do. The nanny felt really bad because the parents were so bummed out about how ugly their kid was. (laughs) I know some ugly kids, but even their parents think that they're cute, so I can't help but wonder how ugly this babezilla really was. The nanny felt so bad that she started bringing the baby to the Temple of Helen to try to make prayers and offerings to make the baby less ugly. After doing this for a really long time, one day she's walking up the hill and some old lady is like, oh, what you got wrapped up in that blanket there? Let me see. And the nanny's like, no, no, you you super don't want to see what's in this blanket. And the old woman persisted. So finally she's like, all right, man, I warned you. And she opens the blanket and the woman like caresses the baby's face and is like, one day... This baby will be the most prized beauty in all of Sparta. And after that day, apparently like every day the baby just got a little bit cuter and then all of a sudden it was Babezilla. So Agidas swoops on in and marries this Babezilla and they're all happy and it's cool. His best friend is the king and that's cool too. Ariston, the king, starts to fall in love with Agida's wife. And one day, he comes up with this little schemey plan. He's like, hey, buddy, we're such good pals. Wouldn't it be cool if we just, like, traded a gift to each other? Like, I'm king, so, like, I got a lot of dope shit. So, like, if you want to grab something of mine, and then maybe I'll take something of yours, like, we'll just call it even. And that's just how this friendship works. And Agidas obviously doesn't think that wives are on the table because the king is married and he's married and he's like, yeah, that that does sound cool. Like, that's a really good idea to strengthen our bond of friendship. So the king's like, okay, bud, you pick first. Now, Herodotus also doesn't say what Agidas got as a present here. I like to imagine it was something, you know, pretty modest, like maybe a chalice or like, hey, that's a pretty cool signet ring you wear. Like, what if I took that? Whatever. He takes his prize and Ariston is like, awesome, awesome. I think that I would like to have your wife. And Agidas is probably like, I'm, I'm sorry, did you say knife? It, It sounded like you said wife, but I'm sure you mean knife. And, you know, Ariston's like, oh, yeah, 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 Uh, I understand the miscommunication here, but no, I I totally want Babezilla. I want her to be my wife. Agidas protests and is like, what about anything else? Like, nothing else that I have sounds cool. But Ariston was like, hey, man, we signed oaths. Like, we made all these promises to each other. Like, You don't want to go back on your word, do you? Like, that's pretty shitty for a friend to do. So, Agidas complies and gives his wife away. So, Ariston goes back home and, in quotation, puts his second wife away, whatever that means. I guess just got rid of her. And he married Babezilla. I guess everything was going pretty good between them because nine months later, she's going to pop out a kid. When she does, Ariston is like counting the days, going, Wait a second, when did we get married? One, two, carry the two, nine months. Nine months? This baby wasn't supposed to happen for 10 months. This child can't be mine. And he's freaking out. Now he happens to say these words in front of an ephor. An ephor is part of a leading class of Sparta who share responsibilities with the kings but they themselves are not king. It's too bad that Mori didn't exist around this time, because a little paternity test could have gone a long way and saved a lot of people a whole bunch of hassle. I've been making a lot of daytime television references lately. Weird. Anyway, after just a little bit of time, Ariston realized that he was just acting on his emotions, and he actually did believe this to be his son. They named the boy Demeritus. There's not a whole lot known about his childhood, or at least nothing written about it that I could find, but after a 30-year reign, Ariston finally dies. When he does die, Demeritus takes his throne and becomes one of the kings of Sparta. The other king of Sparta at the time is a dude named Cleomenes. Now, they don't get along very well, Big surprise, right? Two guys trying to rule one place? <laughs> How could that go wrong? It just so happens that Cleomenes knows that back in the day, Ariston questioned the validity of his son Demeratus. So he decides that he's going to use that against him. Cleomenes also knows that another person who hates Demeritus is a guy named Leotikidus. Back in the day, Leotiketus was supposed to be marrying his beautiful bride-to-be, and somehow, Demeritus sneaks in there, does some sort of shisty dealing, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're not getting married. Ever since then, Leotiketus super hates Demeritus. So now, Cleomenes and Leotiketus are going to join up and try to give Demeritus the old Leo-Cleo combo. Whew! That part was really hard. It took me like ten tries to get that down without messing up. Saying those names in that quick of succession is really quite difficult. So Leo with the assistance from Cleomenes, brings the issue to court. He says that Demeritus is not the rightful king because he's not the rightful heir. His key point is that Ariston himself said that he wasn't his son. And then Leotiketis brings up the ephor who happened to still be around, and he's like, yeah man, I remember him saying that shit. But not everybody seems to be so convinced. So they decide to go visit the oracle at Delphi. Now, Cleomenes has this weird connection with this dude named Cobon, and Cobon has this weird connection with the Delphi oracle. So, Cleomenes gives him some money, and Cobon goes and bribes the oracle. After this happens, the oracle says, Nope, that's not the king. That's not the son of Ariston. Because of this statement, Demeritus gets demoted from king to magistrate. And guess who takes his place as the other ruling king of Sparta? That's right, Leotychidus, his old arch nemesis. Da, da, da. A little bit later, they're both at an event, and Leotychidus sees Demeritus just chilling as a magistrate, and he decides to be a real dickhead and send his scribe over to him to rub it in his face. And he says, Hey, how do you like being a magistrate after you've been a king? And Demeritus is all, like, emo, and he's like, Well, I've tried them both, and you haven't, so go fuck yourself, man. And then he, like, puts his cape on and just walks out all sad, probably kicking stones down the street. After a substantial amount of brooding, he gets to his house and decides to sacrifice an ox to the god Zeus. After he does this, he's holding the intestines and calls his mother to come see him. When she gets there, I like to imagine they're having a real heart-to-heart moment, and the camera slowly pans down from really intense eye contact down to their bloody hands (laughs) holding the intestines of the ox. Wow, what a touching moment. And at this point he says, Mom, who's my real dad? I like to think that she removes her hands from the bloody pile of intestines and softly caresses his face, leaving a bloody handprint. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. I just think that would be a really, really funny scene in a movie. She proceeds to tell him how he was conceived. Apparently, three days after being married to Ariston, someone comes in the room who looks just like ariston and starts to lay some sweet sexy moves on her he seduces her takes these fancy garlands off of his head places them onto her head and then they have a little bit of fun afterwards he gets up and bails and she's just chilling there and then who walks in the door ariston and he says hey where'd you get those fancy garlands? And she's like, (laughs) silly, you gave them to me. And he's like, uh, what? No, I didn't. What are you talking about? And she's like, shut up. Of course you did. We just had a really great time. I'm feeling pregnant. And then he's just like, I'm for real. I didn't give you those fucking garlands. Where did you get them? And they start to do a little investigating, and they find out that they come from a hero's temple down the street. So they consult a local soothsayer, and he's like, Yep, these for sure come from the hero temple of Astrobacus, so I guess you may be hooked up with a ghost. So she's explaining this to Demeritus, and she says, So I mean, I guess it's either this ghost hero or Ariston. And for all those people who are giving you shit, they're just haters. Fuck them to death, you know what I mean? And then she starts to say that some babies are born at 10 months, but sometimes they're born earlier, like 9 months, maybe even 7 months. I guess it was like pretty standard for a baby to be born at 10 months at this time of the world, so I don't know. But she's like, even Ariston agreed later that you were definitely his son, like... Don't get caught up on it, okay, bud? Everything cool? And then we cut back to my movie scene here, and one single tear falls down the face of Demeritus, and he says, Wow, well, Mom, thanks for such sound advice. I love ya. And then he rides off into the sunset, because he decided that he's fucking done with Sparta, so he bails and makes his way to Asia. Once he's in Asia, he finds our boy Darius and is like, hey, I don't know if you know who I am, but, like, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the only Spartan king to ever win at the Olympics, and I got, like, all this inside information, and I really don't like Sparta anymore, so, like, if I could be on your team, that'd be pretty cool. And Darius goes, uh, yeah, for sure. We we welcome you. Do you want some land? You got it, bud. So now Demeritus is on the side of the Achaemenid Persian Empire with our boy... At this point, Sparta is in the hands of the dastardly duo of Cleomenes and Leotychidus, and they are not playing around. They decide to go attack the Aeginetans. The Aeginetans see that both of the Spartan kings are coming and are like, yeah, I don't think we really want to fight you guys, so we give up. So they take some hostages and send them to Athens. The Athenians are historical enemies of the Aegeanitans. Sooner or later, people start to find out about all the misdealings that happened to get rid of Demeraitis. They find out about the whole bribery with the Delphi Oracle, and that dude Cobon has to bail, and then the Oracle herself loses her title of priestess. And now Cleomenes is like, Oh shit, I, uh... I got to get out of here. And he bails too. He goes to the Arcadians and is like, hey guys, we should, we should attack Sparta. Like I'm from there. Like I got the inside scoop. We should do that. And the Spartans hear of this and are like, dude, come just come back. Come back and be our king. Like it's fine. We're not that mad at you. And he's like, are you sure? And when they convince him that they're not too upset, he comes back. But at this point, he starts to lose his mind. He starts whapping people in the face with his scepter whenever he sees him in the streets. And they're like, yo, what the fuck? We like welcomed you back and this is how you're gonna treat us? Not cool, bro. So they lock him up in like a prison. Now, apparently they only thought he needed one guard. And also apparently this guard is kind of an idiot and shouldn't be allowed to guard anyone. Cleomenes is shackled up and he's like hey guard I need a knife and the guard's like um no I don't I don't think you do and he somehow convinces this guard that yeah this prisoner needs a knife so the guard walks over and gives it to him and he immediately starts to just mutilate his legs and just starts cutting himself and ripping himself to shreds Apparently, once again, this guard being completely inept, just stands and watches or something until Cleomenes gets to his stomach and starts just gashing his own stomach open, and then he died. A lot of people thought that this was just vengeful gods getting back at him for the way that he dicked over Demaratus. Now, that seems probable, I guess, because Leoticatus also had some shit happen to him, He took a Spartan army against Thessaly and was like kicking ass and was gonna probably win. But then he took a giant bribe and was found out for taking this bribe. When the general public in Sparta caught on to what was going on, they went and torched his house down to the ground. Now, Leo is like, oh, fuck, I gotta get out of here too. And he goes to a place called Tegia, where he just eventually dies in exile. So you might think, Dang, revenge is pretty sweet for Demeritus. Those dudes both got shafted and kicked out of Sparta and died. But it's not enough for him, because he still has a sour taste in his mouth for Sparta and what they did to him. He apparently is one of the dudes who's on the side of Xerxes, giving him information about the Spartans before the Battle of Thermopyles. Now... I'm going to leave it there today, because the next episode is going to be about some of these specific battles of the Greco-Persian Wars, like the Battle of Thermopyles, and how it really went down, and where it differs from the movie of 300. I do wonder what happened to his relationship with his mother, though. Maybe they had a nice correspondence for years where they discussed memories of her wiping blood all over his face. That's a nice thought. And that's a nice place to end it for today. Whew, I am glad to be done recording that one. It was quite the tongue twister for me. I was also excited to kind of take a break from, you know, child murder and eating kids and shit like that. Take it back to just a good old fashioned love story, you know, of a ghost making love to a queen. Wow, what a beautiful thing, you know. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and this is Repeating History. History, 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 Wait, wait, wait. Before you go, I have one more thing that I just want to kind of clear up. The point of this podcast is to try to make history a little bit more digestible. I am well aware that that last one got a little bit crazy at times. I'm gonna make just a really quick recap of the actual story because I think it's easy to get lost in how complicated all the names are. So here is the really basic version of that story just to make sure that we're all on the same page. It starts with the king and his best friend. The king wants the best friend's wife because she's a babe. He ends up stealing that best friend's wife and then makes it his wife and then they have a kid. The kid becomes one of the two kings of Sparta. The other king of Sparta does not like the new kid. He gets his friend together, and they set up a plot to get rid of the new king. They succeed in this plot with a little bit of bribery, and then the new king is like, okay, fuck this place, I'm out of here, and he goes to Asia and joins Darius, who we've previously mentioned as the ruler of the Achaemenid Persian Empire at the time he's now set to help the Achaemenid Persians come into Greece and fight at the Battle of Thermopylae, which will be the next episode. So you see, the story itself wasn't that complicated. It's just easy to get caught up on all those names. I hope that this little recap helped, and I hope that you guys are ready for the next episode. This isn't exactly like a part one and part two, as much as this one just kind of sets the scene for the next one. Okay. Now we're done. Go away. <laughs> See you guys next time. This episode was written and produced by me, Jonathan Penchoff. Theme music composed by Dave Regan. Make sure to check out the Instagram at repeating history podcast. And the email is repeating podcast at gmail.com. See you guys next week.